0: You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland.
1: Acts 11, 20 and 21, it says, There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. That's that verb again. Epistrepo. They turned away from their idols, away from their philosophies, away from their worldly education, away from the things that they had already believed through their entire life up to that point in time. It was radical. It changed their whole life.
0: People leave the church. They walk away from faith. It's sad, but it's reality. So what are you going to do about it? Today, as Pastor Tom wraps up this study in the book of James, you'll get an idea of what God expects. You'll be asked to go after them. If you know someone who's fallen, go help pick them up. Call them up, love them, and tell them the truth. It may not be easy, and it may not yield the results you hope for, but do it anyway. Obey the Lord and help bring his sheep back to the fold. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James, chapter five, as he continues his message turning sinners back to God.
1: That word turn, epistrepho, means just that. It's a turn all the way around. In in the Hebrew Old Testament, there's a word that's used a lot for turning. It's the word suv. And this is the word that when it's translated into Greek, they use epistrepho. It just means turn them around. 1 Peter 2.25, you were, talking about when we were not believers, you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. What is one way that He guards your soul? Through other people that are His. God used someone to turn you back. This was the whole purpose of John the Baptist's ministry. Remember when Gabriel appears, you know, in the uh, temple, talks to Zacharias? It says, among other things about John the Baptist's life, he, John the Baptist, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. They're in the nation of Israel. They're the chosen people. They have all the promises in the law, but they're interested in doing their own thing. John the Baptist shows up. This guy was ferocious, you know. He looks wild. He's out there in the wilderness, and he starts yelling and shouting, and people come down to see him. And the people, when they realize that, I've been quietly straying away from God. And also, John the Baptist was like shaking them, in a sense, their souls, so they realized, I'm in danger with God. I'm, I'm in danger of throwing it all away. And he had a great effect on the nation of Israel. They turned their hearts back to God. Or like the prophet Zechariah, as he yelled in the Old Testament. The Lord was very angry with your fathers, he writes in chapter 1, verse 2. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. What is involved in turning someone back to God? Well, the first thing that you have to do is you have to note that they're strained, right? You have to know they're straying. You have to know they've turned and gone somewhere. You need to see that in their heart they're straying, they're starting to stray. You need to note that. You need to be aware of that. If you were watching children on, a, on the playground, ladies... Wouldn't you, as you're talking to one another, wouldn't you always have that sixth sense, you know? They call it the eyes on the back of the head, right? Like, what's he doing now? It's quiet over there. You'd always be looking around. You'd have awareness. They're getting too far off the playground. They're getting around the wrong people. They're in danger. They're too close to the creek. What are they doing? Are they near the road? And you would know. You would know they're straying. They're in danger. You'd jump up off of your seat if you needed to, and you'd run faster than you know how to run, wouldn't you? Pull your little skirt up, and you'd be going. If you'd get them, fling little Johnny up like that, bring them back, and all that energy you have would be there because you see them straying. Well, that's what we have to do. We need to recognize that they're straying, and then you have to go after them. That's the second thing. You have to go after them. You can't say, that person's straying. I'm going to put my hands in my pocket, pray for them, and wait for them to come back. You can't do that. I'm going to wait for them to come to their senses. They don't have any sense. And the third thing, of course, and the most uncomfortable thing that many of you don't want to do, and that's why you're going to not like this message, is because some of you are chickens. Some of you don't love other people enough to be put in an uncomfortable situation or even be yelled at or even be slandered or even be hated. Because this is the key. When you go after them, at some point in time, you're going to have to look them in the eyes and you're going to have to confront them, right? And yeah, you're going to have to tell them, and you need to say it in the most gentle way you know how, the most humble way you know how, you're going the wrong way. This is dangerous for you. This is a foolish thing for you to do. There's no way to get around this. If you love them, this is what you're going to do. They're in danger. Do you believe they're in danger or not? You will risk your friendship with them, and you'll communicate truth to their hearts. Yeah, but they've already heard, and they didn't listen. Doesn't matter. Go tell them anyway. And you have to speak the truth in love, Right? And then the whole time you're praying and praying and maybe even fasting. Why should anybody do something like that? Why take the risk? Why involve yourself? Don't I have enough problems of my own? Why would I do that? The answer comes next. Let him know. Let the rescuer know. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way. There it is. He turns a sinner from the error of his way. The sinner is in error. What does error produce? Problems, trouble, pain, judgment, condemnation, ultimately, hell. He wants his own way. He doesn't want God's. He wants his fun. He wants his money. He wants his status. He wants to be liked. He wants his pleasure, his popularity, his pride, his moment in the sun, his fame, God wants him to humble himself and learn from him and learn truth from the Bible. But the sinner doesn't like truth. He likes the mirage that Satan has thrown in front of his eyes. Empty promises. So the rescuer must exert a degree of holy pressure on him to turn him, turn him back around. It's no good to walk alongside of him and help him and escort him into his error. That's not loving. Tolerance. You have to stop them in their tracks and turn them and get them to come back to Christ, to God, and sometimes to church. The sinner is in error. He has to be rescued. Really, this concept of turning is talking about conversion. It's a 180 degree coming back in the opposite direction. I like Dr. MacArthur's quote in his book, Faith Works. He writes this, conversion and repentance are closely related terms. Conversion occurs when a sinner turns to God in repentant faith. It is a complete turnabout, an absolute change of moral and volitional direction. Such a radical reversal is a response the gospel calls for. Whether the plea to sinners is phrased as believe, repent, or be converted, each entails the others. If someone is walking away from you and you say, come here, it is not necessary to say, turn around and come here. The U-turn is implied in the direction, in like manner, where the Lord says, Come to me, as in Matthew 11. The about face of repentance is understood. Nowhere does Scripture issue an evangelistic appeal that does not at least imply the necessity of repentance. Our Lord offers nothing to unrepentant sinners. End quote. Nothing. They have to turn. And you have to help them see that they need to turn. Oh, there are many examples of repentance and conversion in Scripture. I'll just give you a couple here in Acts 3.19. Peter was preaching to the Jews. Therefore, repent, means change your mind, and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8.30 became convinced of his own sin and the truth about Jesus. And then it says he turned his life over to Christ. He got baptized. It changed the whole direction of his life. Maybe the most famous case of conversion ever is Paul's, right? In Acts 9, 4, and 5, it says he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And God literally stopped him on the road to Damascus, stopped him in his tracks and changed the entire course of his life. Acts 11, 20 and 21, it says, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned the Lord. That's that verb again. Epistrepho. They turned away from their idols, away from their philosophies, away from their worldly education, away from the things that they had already believed through their entire life up to that point in time. It was radical. It changed their whole life. Here, the professing Christian has gone back into sin and error. And so the sinner, notice, must be turned. You can't leave them on that path unless... You're happy with their destruction. It is the error of his way that he must be turned from. It is error. It's not an alternative lifestyle. It's wrong. It will meet with judgment. That's not your idea. That's not a religion. That's reality. It's a mistake. You see that it's a mistake. He doesn't see that it's a mistake. You're wiser than him. You've been given insight from God and now you need to take that insight and take your scripture and plead with wisdom. Now please go back to that piece of paper I asked you to write on. Did you get two things or are you still thinking about it? Who is, I want you to write this down, who is one person that if you strayed from the Bible and Jesus and church, you think would chase after you and find you and help you return. Who's that person? Write that name down. Write that name down. Or if you have two, write two names down. If, God forbid, you started to stray from the church, who would hunt you down in the middle of Saudi Arabia and say, come back? Who would go after you? Who would call you? Who would chase after you? Who would want to meet with you? Could we meet at Starbucks? So one of the things I love about Pastor Tony. He's been an example of this. Chase people down. Talk to them. Yes, it was often at Starbucks. Talk to people. Meet where they are. Finding people he didn't even know that are straying. Someone else is praying for him, and he's hunting them down. It's been a great example for us. I want you to go to that person. Maybe you have to call that person. And I would like you to do this. I'd like you to thank that person. You haven't gone astray, but in your mind, you're like, I think that person loves me enough that if, God forbid, that happened, they would risk all and come after me and tell me the truth. You know something? You've got a great, great friend there. If you could come up with no name, you're in danger. You're in danger. You're not connected. You're not accountable. You're not developing Christian relationships. You're setting yourself up for ruin. You have no one that would even look after you if you wandered away. Nobody. Watch out. This warning is for you. And then last, the third group of people, which I've got to do rather quickly here, last part of verse 20. It just says, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way, here two benefits that he gets. This is the person who returns. Two benefits. You will save his soul from death. That's pretty good. And you'll cover a multitude of sins. The save his soul from death, just to summarize it, Saving here is the sozo, it's the normal verb for spiritual salvation. And since it's save his soul, that is more likely looking at spiritual salvation. Therefore, the death is not likely to be physical death in this context. It might be included in, in overall because he talks about death more generally, but really death in the ultimate sense, eternal death. And covering a multitude of sins is not the rescuer covering his own sins. It's because he rescued the other person, their sins were covered. Their sins have now been forgiven. Covering and forgiving are talking about the same thing, really. They're being covered so that they'll never be seen again. And they're being forgiven. So you get two benefits. You get the avoidance of death, eternal death. You save the soul from death. You save the soul from full condemnation. And you get forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. There's a real damnation that these people are in danger of, but you save their soul from death. It's interesting, outside the great city in the new heaven, in Revelation 21.8, it says, for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But you save them from that, and they're saved from that. That's their benefit. Isaiah 66:24 24 says, Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. God is talking. For their worm will not die, and their fire will not be quenched. And they will be in abhorrence to all mankind, but the rescuer rescued them from that, and they don't have to experience that. That's the benefit of those that returned back. If you're someone that's been straying, listen to the benefits for you. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is what? The way of death. The rescuer gets in the way and says, I know this looks good to you, it's wrong. Turn back, turn back. Why would you die? When he turns back, he's saved from death. He's given forgiveness of sins. Obviously, only God saves souls from eternal death, but he's using men. God uses agents. In Acts 2, when Peter was preaching, he told the Jews, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. In Ezekiel, it says, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies because of it, for his iniquity, which he has committed, he will die. And then it says again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he has committed and practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life. You can even do this now yourself. Turn to be saved from death is so good. And then to have all your multitude of sins covered. Only God can forgive sins. So this is in reference to aiding God. And God is the one who forgives the sins. The sinner's sins are covered. They're covered by God. They're completely covered by God. Christ's blood atones for their sins. And he covers them. He removes them. He forgives them. The rescuer has led the sinner to Jesus at the cross. The sinner converts and repents. Now the sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Forgiveness and covering are the same. They are forever covered, never to be uncovered, never to be revealed, never to have to face judgment again. The sins are taken care of. Psalm 85.2, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. In the New Testament, this is applied to the atoning cross work of Christ. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered, Romans 4.7. Covering is the same concept as the atonement. When we come to Christ, our sins are permanently covered by His blood. Jesus removes them. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has removed our transgressions from us. Micah seven nineteen. God will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. They're gone, covered, forgotten. When you live in sin for a long time you have a shameful legacy that now you have to own up for. And yes, there may be temporary consequences for your sins and your foolishness. And the more you're in the sin, the more consequences are spelled out and you have to live with them. But here's the good news. The eternal consequences for sins are removed in the cross of Christ. There's no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. As difficult as this work of reclaiming sinners For Christ is. The results are incredible. People will be forever forgiven and therefore forever grateful to you. They may hate you for a week, a month, a year. They may slander your name, a holy roller. But you risk it. That's true love. Secular society accepts people in their gross sin and calls that tolerance, and acceptance, love, and chides the rest of us who reject that sin. That's not love. Psychology excuses people in their sin. It relabels their problems, and they never learn repentance. They call that approach loving and patient. Neither of those approaches is God's love. Both of them lead the sinner to destruction while patting them on the back. Those in society or in the church who pervert true love are false teachers. Only conversion out of a sinful lifestyle is love. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Luke 19, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. No wonder it says in Proverbs 11.30, He who wins souls is wise. It doesn't say it here in James, but I would add one other thought. He who turns a sinner back not only saves his soul from death, not only covers a multitude of his sins that he's committed, he also wins another worker for the kingdom of God. And this is what happened in Peter's sake on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And Peter was boasting about, I'll never deny you, Lord. And he tells him about the cock crow and all of that. He says... Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And then he said these words Once you have turned back, return, strengthen your brothers. That's what happens when people know that they've been fools and they finally realize how much God loves them. They make pretty good workers in church. Because he who is forgiven much, what? Loves much. Amen. So here's the question. Here's the question we close with. Who are you willing to go after and chase down to win them back to Christ? Is there someone you gave up on a while ago? Maybe tried. Maybe there's someone you were too chicken even to try. Say, so, but pastor, I can think of someone I tried hard and it didn't work. Well, you keep praying for them. You keep asking God for an opportunity. God may have to use an awful lot of pain in their life to bring them back around. But I'd like to just ask you, there's someone out there who's straying right now. If I were a prophet, I'd say they're playing golf on the sixth hole right now. There they are. You see that? But I'm not. But they're straying from God and Christ. They're foolish. They don't get it. They don't understand, but you do. Would you chase after them? Would you risk the friendship? Would you risk the waste of time? Would you pray, go after them, and see what God does? If you feel the pain and rejection, I think if they don't turn back, you'll still, you'll still experience some of the heart of God because you'll realize what He experiences all the time when people do not turn back to Him. And your fellowship with God will increase But if they do turn, what joy you will have. What did Jesus say? There's more joy in heaven over what? One sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Amen? Father in heaven, we would pray for those that are wandering, that you will help them see how foolish their wandering is. Maybe even someone here today who you brought to church and their life has been wandering and they have their own little way of explaining their life, but really what it comes down to it is they don't want to submit to you, and they're wandering. Please bring them back this very day. Help them to know they can call upon you, and you will love them and receive them and forgive all their sins and save them from death and give them purpose and meaning in life. We also pray for us that we would be courageous in love, not listening to the false definitions of love by the world, but living by what your word says. Change us and strengthen us, we would pray, Lord Jesus,
0: for your sake and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. So now that you've heard this message, take a moment and let the Lord speak to you. Has he put someone on your heart who you know isn't living a God-honoring life? If so, stop and pray about how God wants you to step in, and maybe today, you're struggling with your own hold on faith. Pastor Tom reminded you to seek help, to dive deeper into God's word, and to let the Lord strengthen you. He will, if you'll let him. With sad, yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leak, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on Earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Well, we've come to the end of our study in James on Discover Hope. What a book. It's filled with practical life tips that not only honor God, but also set you apart in a world filled with sin. Pastor Tom walked you through each topic, each lesson, giving you hope that you too can live for Jesus every single day. It's not easy, but it's worth it. We pray you found new life in Christ and that you're ready to share it with the world. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Discover Hope. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hopebiblechurch.org. And be sure to join us again right here on Discover Hope.